It can be really tough to keep our faith when we go to school and college, especially when we're talking about science. So how is a Christian supposed to deal with all of that? We're going to talk about it today on Love God First. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're joining me today for another exciting episode of Journeying Through Genesis, the epic adventure of Genesis. And we are rocketing forward today from Genesis 1-1, the first half, to Genesis 1-1, the second half. So really, really going forward a lot today. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm joking. Yeah, we're going slow. But we can't leave this verse yet. We just can't. And I'll tell you why. Too many people are in science classes, high school, college classes. Too many people. You might know someone. You might be one person that's in it now. You might have children that are or grandchildren that are. And we're just getting bombarded with science railroading over our faith. And that was not always the case. It was not always the case. And so today we're going to look at a little bit of just some science history and talk through some things to help give you some hope and some ground to stand on as as a critical thinker. And then we're also going to deal with any doubt that might have crept into your heart at some point when you were reading the Bible or Genesis in particular, since we're in the book of Genesis. A lot of people struggle with Genesis. A lot of people do. There are people who have left the faith because intellectually they just can't get past some of the stories in Genesis. And so what do we do about that? Well, the Lord has a solution for us. It's going to be exciting. Are you ready? So we're going to pray and then we're going to launch. Here we go. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you made us people that have minds that can think. And Lord, your word says we can love you and that you want us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so we're going to love you with our minds today, Lord. And we're also going to commit our minds to you to just say, renew it, transform our minds. And Lord, would you take your word and place it in our hearts deeply? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. I'm going to read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're looking at the heavens and the earth today, the heavens and the earth. So heavens, the Hebrew word heavens, it means basically everything. So when, when the verse says the heavens and the earth, that's all of it. It's the earth plus the heavens are everything else. The entire universe in that word heavens means all of it, the earth and all of everything else. So basically it's saying God created the universe people. And you might say, well, wait, hold on. Other people say different things, that the universe was created in some other way. Well, let's talk about that. There are only three possibilities. The universe created itself, the universe always existed, or the universe was created. That's it. There's no other option. And let's just think about that for a second. If the universe created itself, that means that it would have to exist and not exist at the same time. Do you see the problem with that? It doesn't make sense. In fact, it violates the law of non-contradiction. It's just nonsensical. So we can put that one aside. And the universe always existed as as a possibility, right? Well, actually, there's been some research done that has shown, actually, it wasn't really research. It was more like people looked up into the sky and noticed with these really powerful telescopes that things are moving apart slowly. Everything is slowly expanding. There's this thing called a red shift that scientists 
have measured and that shows this slow expansion. Well, if there's an expansion of everything coming apart farther and farther away, then if you extrapolate backwards, that means that there was a beginning. So that's out. So the only other option is that the universe was created, which means someone would have to be here to create it. And guess what? According to the Bible, someone was. It was God. So that works. And the fact that it's an, such an orderly place now, that the earth is a place of order. The second law of thermodynamics says that everything's kind of spiraling into chaos and disorder. Well, you couldn't have started from chaos and then sort of become orderly. That violates the second law of thermodynamics. So that doesn't work. The person who started the universe had to be orderly. And guess what? The Lord is a God of order. The Apostle Paul says that in the New Testament. That's, that's the one that makes the most sense. Science is limited. Okay, it it's, comes from a Latin word that means to know. Science is limited. You can't know everything from science. Let me give you an example. Let's say, this is a story that I heard Dinesh D'Souza say once. I thought it was great. He said, okay, I take a pot of water. I put it on the stove. I turn the heat on. Science can tell me how much water is in the pot. It can tell me the point at which the water begins to turn into water vapor at 212 degrees Fahrenheit. It can measure how much water vapor is, is gone and how much water is still left in the pot. Science can do all those things, but it can't tell us why the pot is on the stove to begin with. It can't. The reason why it was there is because I want to have a cup of tea. But science can't do that. So it has limitations. And it has limitations with creation. Science measures things that are observable, measurable, and repeatable. And guess what? Creation wasn't, wasn't any of those things. There was no, no one was there to observe. No one was there to measure, or, and it can't be repeated. So it's not able, we're not able to use that to extrapolate information about creation. So as you're pondering things about evolution and creation, just know that, hey, science is great. It has done so much for helping us with medicine and technology things, but it has limitations. And the origin of the universe is one of the things that it just has limitations about. So then is there no hope for the intellectual Christian? Or you might be saying, well, what about our brains and thinking and understanding? Well, hey, you know, there were actually a lot of people with big brains who studied and were amazing scientists, and they were also people of faith. And I'm going to tell you about a couple of them now. One was Isaac Newton. He was maybe the most influential scientist of all time. You know, he invented calculus. He discovered gravity. He wrote a book that is considered to be one of the, probably the greatest work in the history of science. And this is what he said. He said, this most beautiful system of the sun, planets, and comets could only proceed from the counsel and dominion of an intelligent being. This being governs all things, not as the soul of the world, but as Lord over all. And on account of his dominion, he is wont to be called Lord God. Isn't that cool that Isaac Newton himself thought that? And Newton's also quoted as saying, gravity explains the motions of the planets, but it cannot explain who set the planets in motion. So there's just another example of how, yeah, the limitations of science. But isn't that beautiful? He was a brilliant man, and yet he was a Christian. And a lot of scientists 
discovering major things in history were Christians. It's kind of a lie that that's sort of hidden. If you do some historical research, you can find it, but it's not really presented like, hey, did you know that there are a whole bunch of Christians who were also scientists who did these amazing discoveries? It's just not said. It, it's not said. It's not mentioned. I'm going to give you another example. Robert Boyle. He lived in the 1600s, and he's known as the father of modern chemistry. He learned Latin, Greek, and French, studied with Galileo, published books on physics and chemistry, and listen to this. He learned Hebrew, Syriac, and Chaldee so he could read texts firsthand, like biblical texts. And he believed that science and scripture existed in harmony. What? Yes, I just said that. In harmony. He believed that conflicts between science and the Bible were either due to a mistake in science or an incorrect interpretation of scripture. And I would agree with that. I think that's a great, just boiling it down. After he died, Boyle endowed a series of lectures designed to defend Christianity. And, you know, that still happens today in London. I looked it up. They still are happening And I don't even have time to mention loads of other scientists who were Christians. Johannes Kepler, Charles Bell, William Kirby, Michael Faraday, George Washington Carver, James Clark Maxwell. Those are just a few. And I want to share one. Anyone who knows me knows this story because I tell everyone because I think it's the coolest thing. But Kepler, he's the guy who discovered the planetary laws of motion, the three planetary laws of motion. And the reason he discovered it is because when he was alive, everybody thought that the planets were circling. Well, they barely had just discovered that the planets circled around the sun. That was new. But they had mathematically calculated it, but Kepler kept coming up with this eight minutes off. Like if the if the planets go around the sun in a circle, there's eight minutes that's not accounted for. And that eight minutes, he said he knew God was a God of order. He knew that the Lord made things well and he did it well and he, and he made things right and, and good. And so he kept searching and searching and searching, took him about 20 years. And he finally figured out it was an elliptical orbit that the planets go around. And he would not have found that if he hadn't have been a Christian because he was like, Lord, you made this universe, you made it orderly. There's got to be a reason why there's these eight minutes I keep coming up with. And that is directly tied into his Christian faith. Isn't that cool? What do we do now? Let's say you're a person who's like, okay, well, that sounds great. I just am filled with a new appreciation for faith and science being complementary. And wow, history shows that science and faith work together more than I ever thought. And so that's great. But, uh, you know, I still have this nagging doubt. I still have this nagging feeling about Genesis. That's okay. Because Jesus kind of did some stuff with a guy that's going to help us to learn what what we should do (laughs) if you're in that boat. So I'm going to Mark chapter 9, verse, I think I'm going to start with verse 20. This is a story of Jesus and a father who brought his demon-possessed son to Jesus. And it says, they brought the boy to him, Jesus, and when Jesus, when he saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible to him who believes. 
Immediately the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. Okay, I'll stop there. So that's Jesus dealing with this man who is struggling with his, with his faith level. He's struggling with doubt. And so what can we learn from this guy? Well, the first thing is, do you notice? He says, I do believe, help my unbelief. So any amount of faith is still faith. Any amount. And it's a good thing, even a little bit. Jesus said even a mustard seed of faith will, will do great things. So th- there's something there. And do you notice that he came to Jesus with his doubt and that he admitted it? Because Jesus knew anyway, right? It wasn't like he was telling him anything he didn't know. And the guy let Jesus deal with it. It's really interesting that word where it says, help my unbelief, that word help. It's a verb, boe, boetheo is the Greek word. And it means to run and meet an urgent distress call. So the guy wasn't just saying, oh yeah, can you help me? He was saying, Jesus, will you run to me? I have an urgent need. Come to my rescue. I have got to develop some, some faith here for my son. Help my unbelief. So the, the man was really laying hold and, and asking desperately for help from Jesus. And that's what we can do too. That's what we can do too. There was this one time a few years ago, my husband and I were watching this, this debate between an atheist and a Christian. And we were watching it. We were really enjoying this, this kind of apologetics thing. And then at the end, I started to get this feeling of like, wow, there is no God. There's really no God. And I was like, well, that's weird, because I had been at this point a Christian for like 20 years. And then I, I prayed about that. I was like, Lord, why am I thinking that? And then it just kept going. Like every day, there's no God. Why are you even bothering to pray? There is no God. God's not real. And it just would keep coming at me, coming into my mind, coming into my mind after that, that debate that I watched. And this went on for a couple of weeks, and I could not get it out of my head. So I went to my pastor and said, hey, can you help me here? I've had, I watched this debate, and now I don't think God is real. And <laughs> what happened? I, I know he is, but I keep having these thoughts come in. And he sat me down and put his hand, one hand on my forehead, one hand on the back of my head, and he prayed for me in tongues. And I'm mentioning the tongues part because I had no idea what he was saying. There were no words coming out of his mouth that made sense to me. Which is appropriate, I think, because doubt is a spiritual problem. It's not like doubt can be overcome by some clever argument that my mind hears and then I have no more problems. It's a spiritual issue and my pastor knew it. But I didn't. I was pretty ignorant. I just knew I needed help. So I was just sitting there going, huh, that's interesting. I have no idea what he's saying, but I'm just going to sit here and and wait and see what happens. So that's what I did. I sat there and waited. And after about a couple of minutes, something really interesting happened. I got a picture in my mind that just was there of this, the atheist that was in this debate and this huge bug-like creature flying around his head. And that anytime some kind of truth would come in, this creature would bat it away and prevent it from coming into this guy's mind. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. I just kept sitting there for a couple more minutes, and then the pastor finished praying for me, and he said, okay, are you good? I'm like, yeah, I'm good, thanks. And then I, and the thing was gone. That, that voice or that whatever, that, that thought that would come in that would say God's not real, stopped. It stopped. It, it never came back. 
So it was obviously an attack of the enemy, but I think it's really interesting that the Holy Spirit gave me a picture that broke the lie. It broke the lie. And doubt is a lie. I think most of the time, even though it's great to know about this stuff with faith and science and all these scientific things, but doubt has to be something that Jesus himself deals with, just like he did with that man. And do you know how that story ended? Jesus healed the son. And it says that Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up and the boy was cured. The boy was no more problems. And Jesus did a miracle there. And you know, he can do one for you as well. If you're a person who struggles with creation versus evolution or with any or all of Genesis, the stories in it, let's do what this man did and bring the doubt to Jesus right now. Let's let him do a miracle in our hearts. So will you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, we admit any unbelief in our hearts. We admit that we believe too, Lord, we're a mix, just like that man was. We confess the doubt. We pray that you deal with it. Give us what we need, Holy Spirit, to believe. We pray for revelation. And may faith rise up in our hearts, Lord. We cast down arguments that set themselves up against God, Jesus, the Bible. Lord, help us not to entertain those things. Help us to get prayer from people that we trust if something is just not going, Lord, right away. But Lord, I just speak to anyone listening right now, if they're struggling with that doubt, we break off false teaching. We break off any atheist comments that are knocking around in their head. We just pray, Lord, that anything that is not of you that is based in a lie would go in Jesus' name, and that, Lord, you would bring spiritual revelation by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you help our unbelief. We receive by faith a miracle, just like you gave that father 2,000 years ago. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hey, don't forget to click the like button and subscribe to our podcast and share with a friend. And if you have questions about Genesis that I haven't answered yet, feel free to email me at lovegodfirstpodcast at gmail.com. That's lovegodfirstpodcast at gmail.com.